0: Hello, Rich Bolus here, a big thank you for downloading the Dad Mindset podcast, where we explore different perspectives on fatherhood. This week, I talk with parenting author, educator, and resilience specialist, Maggie Dent. Maggie is passionate about raising good learners, creative thinkers, and problem solvers, as well as raising kids who are sometimes happy, fantastically healthy, confident, kind, and resilient. It's a lot to fit in, but Maggie does it with style. Maggie discusses how we should recalibrate our expectations on ourselves as parents and goes into a huge number of other really helpful topics. I hope you enjoy this wide-ranging chat with Maggie Dent. Maggie Dent, welcome to the show. Now, you are a parenting author who's written loads of books. You're an educator, a resilience specialist, a boy champion who likes girls, a former counsellor, a celebrant, and sometimes known as the Queen of Common Sense. How on earth do you fit it all in?
1: (laughs) Okay, the very first thing is that there are children on our planet who are born roosters, high energy, driven, um, sort of like um, problem solvers, uh, seekers, questioners, avid learners, uh, and I'm one of them. So that really helps and there's no question my team call me, um, you know, a never ready battery lady most of the time because they can't keep up with me. Uh, however, I don't do a lot of the other stuff. So what my, I worked out very early on in my working field is I love to write, I love to research, I love to stay in touch with people, I do love to visit communities all around the place, not just in the city. I'm a passionate country person um, and so their job is to make that happen All I do is turn up or disappear and write. And some days I'll tell them I'm having a PJ day. I'm in my jammies all day. And um, I now have grandchildren. So um, the first thing in the diary every year is my grandchildren's birthdays. Um, Not even my own sons anymore. They don't go in. (laughs)
0: They Um, don't get a gansey.
1: No. And then I really balance the fact that my husband doesn't have the energy I have and I love him and I must not overwork him. So he collapses on me, which he has done a couple of times. So it looks like um, if I was doing that by myself, it would be impossible. And I have now made sure I'm a real – I was a teacher for, you know, 17 years. I, I work really well in the day. So I had to make a choice about cutting back the number of night presentations I've done. I do. And that saves my life enormously. And, of course, we've now got a digital landscape which creates, you know, um, opportunities to do things like this in the daytime. Out of my pajamas. So, (laughs) and every now and then I disappear for a week or two weeks and completely unplug. I even unplug from um, my Facebook page, which I run solo um, because I have to be able and I respect myself. And I've also burnt out a couple of times in the past. So, us oldies have already made the mistakes, lots of the youngies are yet to make. Um, And from that, I make really very careful choices. Just every now and then when I'm tired, I find it hard to say no. So my team says no for me sometimes. (laughs)
0: Great. (laughs) Got a great team around you that know your limits.
1: I have. And what's really funny about the team around me is I absolutely love them. We're almost like an extension of family. I have this gorgeous guy in the background who's my tech guy who's just – he's got these very powerful switched-on women all really good at their own bits. Um But together, oh my goodness, they can do stuff. And I hardly even know what's going on in the background. I just give them an idea. And before I know it, it's eventuated into something wonderful. So pretty lucky.
0: <laughs> That's fantastic. What are you excited about the most at the moment?
1: Uh, besides the new grandchild coming? Uh,
0: <laughs> oh, yeah, actually. Let's <laughs> talk about that.
1: <laughs> two weeks away, I, oh, roughly two weeks away. We have our second um, grandson coming into the family. So I get really emotional around that time. Um, We've just had a couple of birthdays of a three-year-old little girl and a four-year-old little girl, I mean a four-year-old little girl and a five-year-old little girl. So, okay, so what excites me the most this year is um, um, I have already written my next book, Rich. Nice. It's the first time I've done one with a big publisher, so it's a bit like having the baby and handing it to someone else to look after and breastfeed. So um, it's a very new experience, but it's almost like, what I left incomplete out of mothering our boys was I did apologise in the last chapter I didn't have enough time to really explore the adolescent journey for boys, and I have done now, and it's it's a rip snorter.
0: Oh, pretty. And I
1: am beyond thrilled about it, and um, I know it's going to help a lot of parents understand um, moody, smelly, smelly teenage boys and, and how to help them on the journey that um is difficult it's difficult for girls as well as boys but I don't feel as many people understand them as well as I do and um yeah so I I, yeah and when I was writing the dedication because I've already dedicated a book to my boys so I said I'm not dedicating anymore you only get one (laughs) um and it was because in my classrooms you know I met a lot of boys you know illiterate boys or boys coming from you know really tricky backgrounds who thought they were dumb and useless who were sabotaging themselves and uh, doing really crazy things to try and feel better or fit in. So I dedicated it to the what I call the Matthews in my world, the boys who slip through the cracks, Um, the boys who don't have someone who kind of walks beside them and say, hey, mate, there's more to you than, you know, that was a really dumb choice but I reckon you've got more in you, to the ones who never give up on them. I kind of, it's we need a world full of more of those and I think we've kind of dropped the ball a little bit because we're all so busy.
0: Yeah, and why do you think we drop the ball so much? I mean, sorry, just to back up a bit, Maggie, could you give us a story about Matthew? You mentioned Matthew just then?
1: Yeah, so Matthew was in one of my year eight classes early on. He's completely illiterate, completely. So usually boys, they never told me at the university as an English teacher, I'd have students who couldn't read or write. Very difficult to teach English in that situation. Um, Some were really semi-literate, some were, you know, dyslexic kids that had never been picked up. Um, and he comes from a solo mum with a, a loving brother and his brother had done all his reading for him when he was little because he struggled
2: right. so
1: he never yeah. learned to read um, and usually they're rat bags because they're trying to cover up look yeah. like a, you know they act like a real dick um, you know fart and class but <laughs> Matthew had this long kind of hair and he kind of slouched around and he didn't really say an awful lot and then one day I um, I was helping him after school, put some of his thoughts into words because you can't assess anything if it's a written assessment and he said oh miss you reckon you could drop me off on the way home because I was in a country town, I knew exactly where he lived and so I said "Yes, yeah, sure, dropped him off and he asked me if I'd like to come in for a cup of tea and I thought whoa that might be great, his mum might come home soon, I can tell her how good he's going and and so in the classroom, I get, yep, nup, dunno. <laughs>
2: yeah.
1: And in that context, I got this boy with completely articulate sentences who sat me down and said, I hope you'll wait for a moment while the kettle boils. I've got two jobs I need to do before I make your tea. He went out and took the washing off the line and folded up. And now I hadn't had sons at that point. I didn't know about this pulling off with the pegs on and a foot on it. <laughs> He had folded it beautifully. He put a chicken into the oven because I start dinner tonight because mum comes home a bit late, made me a cup of tea and I had conversations with a boy I'd never met. And I realised the depth and wisdom in a boy that I thought was dumb. Yeah. I thought was I thought illiteracy meant uh, not intelligent. And in classrooms after that, my class learned to respect that beautiful boy and there were times that they'd turn around. And the one time we did a... Um, uh, stylistic video of dots, and it was about introducing uh, racial discrimination. And um, one dot took another dot home, and the dot, you know, it was all about dots. There was nothing in it that was all symbolic. And everyone, I said, So, what do you reckon this might be about? And my brightest kids had no idea. And Matthew puts his hand up and says, Miss, I know what that's about. He says, I think it's about discrimination, where some people think they're better than other people because of the colour of their skin. And you know, we're not, we're all one. He was 13. Sadly, after he left school, um, it didn't work well. And, of course, not being able to get a job or a licence um, ended up with alcoholism, which ended up with mental illness, and Matthew took his life at 23. Oh, no. And I just don't want that to happen to other Matthews in the world. And our boys are, are really struggling in our modern world, um, and so it's a really big opportunity for us to change the way we, we're raising them you know, um, and and people say so. uh, And I'm toying with the title, Rich, because I think that when we say let's raise boys to be good men, it sounds like it's binary. It sounds like there's bad men and good men. And I'm sorry, you know, I've got both aspects in me. (laughs) All the men I know have got a bit of both. So I wanted it to look towards healthy or happy or do you know what I mean? Um, And also the and so that's kind of my journey is um, I don't want to feminise all boys. I want to allow our boys to work out who they are and let that be valid so that our sensitive boys are just equally as valid as our rooster boys who are go-getters and alphas, but that our alphas also learn that um, we need to respect, you know, others and we need to know about empathy and we need to know about understanding and that aggression and anger and violence are not just ways that you can navigate a world. So yeah, it's a big one. It's huge. I, I don't tackle small things.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, not at all. I mean, so, I mean, that's a tragic story, but where, where do you think we go wrong in today's society with people like Matthew?
1: Okay, there's a few things wrong, and I think we need to just, let's look at parenting first because we're in the midst of a changing paradigm of parenting, Rich, and that's from the parenting world that was very much control. Um, we use punishment. So, in other words, we parented through fear, So we punish children when they did what we didn't want rather than teach them what we do want, which is discipline. And then in that transition, people have got a little bit confused. So we don't hit anymore. You know, we try not to shame. But what the heck do I do? So I think it's building an understanding of how do we raise children to be able to understand the boundaries of life um, uh, and without needing to be awful mean people to them. I think the big one in that journey is that some of our children need more time before they transition into our school environments. Um, and, you know, I talk a lot about the research that's now supporting that boys can be a little bit later in in being able to transition well, not only find motor control, but their left brain. Um, we also know that girls develop much faster in some of those areas. Especially
0: socially and emotionally.
1: Oh, socially. Yeah. I'm like, oh my goodness, my granddaughters. Oh my, what? They, I'm just... I'm stunned with their perception and understanding of how to get what they want, um, how to manipulate us with love. (laughs) Um, And boys are just really thick like that, you know. (laughs) So um, being able to get an understanding of how we can help all of our children shine, and that means those children who have dyslexia, those children with neurodivergent brains, um, we've we've got a whole different way now of recognising we don't have to fix them to make them like everyone else. We have to work out ways that we help each child, each unique miracle. There's only one of every child to be able to become the best expression of themselves. So that means our system at the moment is one size fits all. And it's, it's, we are not picking up early enough some of those challenges. And when we see them, um, we're not meeting them within, I believe they need to be met within the school school grounds rather than parents having to find allied health professionals because it does cost money. So I just believe we've we've just got to tweak the model a little bit. We need to relax a lot more around test-driven education. Um, I I laughingly say that NAPALM or NAPLAN was one of the biggest (laughs) mistakes of education because we now focus so much on testing, but we're not testing some of the things that help all of our children become decent human beings.
2: Yeah.
1: You know, we, we don't measure... Their capacity to care for another, or be patient in that situation, or be able to lose well—you don't, you don't test that. Yeah. Um, and these are these are incremental things that I explore in my ten buildings box model of how to build resilient children is, and parents kind of haven't, you know, we don't have the same growing up who might have been there that might have said, hey, look, it's great for them to lose. Yeah. Um, you know. You do know Pass the Parcel now Most most (laughs) birthday parties, everyone gets prizes, you know that. Yeah, yeah.
2: So we're missing a little
1: window, don't we, because no one wants a child upset. Um, And it's not so much about letting, it's about letting them feel what disappointment feels like, especially in a fun setting when you're going to have cake. Yeah. um, Or there's another game or they're at a party. Um, But I really believe as our parents get busier and busier, and the digital world is stealing you away from your children, you have less time to play those games, the card games, the Connect Four, the, you know, you know. Um, so they learn to lose with a little bit more graciousness. So there's lots of simple things. So I guess I wanted to be the, the parenting educator that says, hey, the basics still matter. Yeah. You know, the basics, you don't have to get, you know, sign your kid up for a million classes. You know, the basics matter just like they mattered. So our kids... Still need exactly the same things to develop healthily. That the world around them has changed. Yeah. And I hope I help parents make some sense of that. That there is also no such thing as perfect children. Yeah. No such thing as perfect parents, mummies or daddies. On and Instagram is the worst thing that's happened to parenting.
0: Yeah. No, I mean that's a, a brilliant point there that you make about how how do children develop healthily, Maggie.
1: Okay, so the number one need of every single child is um, what we call healthy attachment. So attachment is we need someone who's nuts about us, nuts about us even when we do a poo tsunami that goes up our back and <laughs> don't sleep and, you know, we wake up with the toe up our nose and they've just smeared their food everywhere. You know, there's, there's that place that we've got to be the safe base for our children. Now, if our children have, you know, the minimum is one. That's it, one safe base. Yeah. Um, however, if they have more than that, it's, it's to their advantage, no question. And then when we um, transition our kids into if we have to work, um, uh, when we have a, a, a long daycare or a family daycare, that secondary attachment person, it's not what you're educationally teaching him in those centres, it's how safe does your child feel there. Yeah. So when I meet a mum who says, oh, gosh, I'm a bit worried, my son doesn't even want to come home with me, I'm going, he's securely attached (laughs) there. That is fabulous. If he wants to go Saturday, I love it. Yeah. Can you see again? So we need to work out that just it's not just having, um, you know, the opportunities for that, that the child needs to really feel, where's my next big grown-up person? Um, And then, you know, like I said before, love is often spelt T-I-M-E. Yeah. Yeah. And one of my, you know, one of my most popular kind of weird stuff that I made as a queen of common sense was, talking to parents about micro connections of love rather than just macro because, of course, we'd love to sit down and play with them for an hour, wouldn't we, and we'd love all day Sunday, you know, like (laughs) yay. But life just doesn't always give us that, does it? So I keep saying to them, what are the little micro moments? Like do you rub your child's head as you walk past? Do you wink at them a bit, you know? Do you just sit next to them sometimes on the couch and watch Bluey? just for a few minutes and laugh with them? Do you hold their hand, you know, rather than just across the road? Um, do you kind of want to tell them funny stories and jokes? Um, how long do you lay beside them if they need you at night without going, oh,
0: Yeah. what else have I got but to do? One of your recommendations was putting little notes <laughs> or jokes in their lunchbox as well, yeah, stuff absolutely. like that. Absolutely. I've, I've started doing that to... and the kids Oh, love my it.
1: goodness. Not only that, what's really interesting, it's often the boys that often keep the notes yeah, they're just such sensitive little Vegemites. We keep thinking, the world keeps saying boys are tough. They're actually, I believe, more emotionally fragile than girls. And so those things they tend to remember. And I can remember when I was in high school, we had to do some things like, you know, um, we some activities, write down some things, a positive thing about someone in the classroom. We we're really trying to build sort of self-esteem in the classroom. It was my biggest job is make everyone feel safe and loved in my classroom. And when we had them all put into their things, you know, I meet these guys now in their 50s who still have that envelope full of those messages. Oh, no
0: wow. That's awesome. You know, it's
1: a, it's a bit like some boys want to keep their favourite picture book or Their favourite undies, which is why they don't like throwing them out, even at your age, do they, Rick? (laughs)
0: That's right. How did you know? (laughs)
1: Because I'm a boy champion, I'm no (laughs) boy. Whereas, what us mummies want to do, right? It's time to clean out. They look all ratty, they're lacing, get rid of those. I keep saying, (laughs) please don't throw anything out without checking your son. You could actually break his heart.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I've totally noticed that. Yeah, that's a very good point, Maggie. (laughs) Now, going right back, you mentioned earlier about how the paradigm has changed quite somewhat. And you talk about discipline versus punishment. Now, I mean, my generation, well, our generation, we totally came from that whole punishing kids to make them do what you want them to do. So, how should we actually be looking at it these days? How can we actually? Because I mean, I've, personally, I find that my first trigger response yep. is to go to that emotional snap, and uh, and I've really got to pull myself back and go, no, that's not the way I want to present here. But gee, it's hard. What, yeah. what should we be thinking or doing, or <laughs> give me some help, okay, maybe? <laughs>
1: What is really interesting is so, our, our autobiographical memory remembers childhood deeply. In actual fact, in some of my early work when I was counseling as a transpersonal counselor, I could discover. Sorry, emotional what, what does memories. transpersonal mean? It just means we look a bit wider than just talking about things. So, we look at, we use um, art therapy. Um, children use color to tell us how they're feeling. Um, I use visualizations to kind of give them another way of seeing themselves. It's really quite quirky because the children direct it. They're so creative. Um, and so one of the things we found was that, um, and I'll give you an example of emotional memory that um, I worked with one family. Um, this little boy was just really sad. He'd been quite sad from the get-go. No trauma at birth, mum and dad loving couple, just nothing violent in the home. There's no obvious things. This boy always was sad. Anyway, so when I was working with him, I got him to colour these things and and sure enough, that's his colour of sadness. Anyway, so what we do, it's a weird thing and there are a few um, forms of healing modalities out there including kinesiology that can do this. Um, We kind of either muscle test or go back till the body says, this is the time this happened. Anyway, for him, um, and I was using muscle testing at the time, it went back to three months of age while he was pregnant in his mummy's tummy and I said to mum, So, what happened when you were three months with him? And she just looked up and said, Oh my goodness, that's when my best friend was killed in a car accident. Oh, whoa. And I said, So, um, can you imagine that 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 little bubby is absorbing stuff that you cannot believe? The brain is already kind of formed by then. So, really, he was marinated in his mother's sadness and grief. And um, so, it's, you know, so he's come out. And what we worked out is his core belief was I make my mummy sad. Oh, wow. So with this weird stuff that we were able to do, in actual fact what I did is I took him into a visualisation that allowed him to um, pretend he was born again into a room full of balloons with mum and dad singing and laughing and carrying on and being happy and how great they were to see him. And it's crazy because emotional memories, memories are the things we're working on. If we can overlay a memory with something else sometimes, it's a bit like how we can work with post-traumatic as well. Um, and from that day, no joke, it was just he bounced up with a grin on his no face. Way. But his mum and dad said, this little boy just isn't the sad boy anymore. And when he gets to be sad, he knows it's sadness because yeah. he lived from there. He knows he doesn't have to stay there. So can you see that every kind of experience that we have has kind of a thing it does in our body. So um, that's what I kind of loved about it. I used to give children colour breath to use. And they'd stop being quite so angry. I've got a Calming the Angry Ant video DVD or audio because I kept meeting these really angry boys, right? And we still kind of let boys be angry, but we don't always let them be sad and vulnerable. Yeah. Anyway, I taught this little boy this and it worked so well, so I got an audio and Um, I have a lot of early childhood educators who use that in the classroom.
0: How how does it work? And what's so
1: funny, it's called, it's just beautiful. It's a red breath, like an angry ant. They know, angry ant, they know what that looks like. And as the angry ant calms down and they breathe in, all the red's gone, they breathe in their own calming colour. And then eventually they become a calm animal. And what is in their creative little minds, that's, that's who they have become. There are teachers who sort of send them out when they're all a bit ratty and just say, can you come in as your calm animal? And they all come in really quiet. (laughs) So it's kind of inviting them to change emotional states without knowing how we're doing it. Yeah, yeah. And I think one of my common concerns is that every now and then we think that little children, even to 15, 16, 17 and 18, are adults in little bodies. Yeah. And they are children with underdeveloped prefrontal cortexes. And until that prefrontal cortex which says, okay, I'm a bit angry right now and I might just take some breaths, Um, is developed, they are coming from a child space. And, you know, toddlerhood, oh, my goodness, Um, it's an egocentric window that where they're absolutely wired to be as physically active, pushing boundaries, testing everything with every sense they have. So when they unravel that roll of toilet paper into the toilet, it's actually a physics experiment. Yeah. Yeah. Right, and because they've seen you push a toilet to let it go, they think it's all going to go. The fact there's three rolls in there has not occurred to that toddler and we often lose it because we think there's an intention to be naughty.
2: Yeah. So there there
1: is actually almost no intentionality. There's a few little children who plan their tantrums. Um,
0: I I love it. Most children don't. Because I, I remember you saying it's not a bad child; it's a child making no. childlike choices yes, through the eyes, it. brains, and, and lens of a that's child. And, and when you said that, I was like, oh "My gosh!" I, I know Obvious. implicitly that we, you know, we don't develop a prefrontal cortex until you know we're late twenties. And and here I am assuming that my five-year-old boy is actually yeah. going to understand a rational conversation around why he shouldn't and get I upset. Told you yesterday. Yeah. Exactly. You know,
1: in the- one of the beautiful things I learned from, you know, my research and the research in um, child development now is just gives us so much more rich stuff. But um, a toddler right through to probably almost three and a bit cannot hold two thoughts in their mind at the same time. So they've thought, I'm just going to push my baby brother over and see what happens. And mummy's saying, don't touch your brother. Stop doing that to your baby. Can't hold another thought. There's only room for one.
0: (laughs) There's only one seat on the bus. (laughs) So
1: what I basically say then, they need our help to not hurt their brother. Yeah. Rather than they need a bit of a smack to not hurt our brother. Yeah. Or they need to be yelled at to not hurt our brother. They're just still testing the world. See what happens. Does he roll when I push him? And, of course, every now and then with that attachment issue, when mums and dads get really busy with that new baby, of course they're going to be a bit peed off because – what about me? There's that, where's my cup being yeah. filled? So it's quite normal. They can't go, oh, gee, I seem to be struggling with a temporary bit of an abandonment issue right here. And I could one of you give me a bit more, you know, TLC or a bit of love? I'm feeling, yeah. no. Yeah, but when I do this,
0: like, I do get yeah, attention.
1: Yes. Yeah, but it's not that, and that's the word I want people to keep looking at. When we say attention-seeking, I want you to really quickly curb that because... That's disrespectful to children because what they're looking for is connection.
2: Yeah.
1: I'm connection-seeking. Yeah. And that's why, you know, and I have lots of parents, Rich, and I probably you have had the same thing where you seem to spend an awful lot of time trying to get your kids to sleep or sometimes wonder if you have to sleep with them or you hardly ever sleep in the same marital bed, um, you know, and you wonder if it's ever going to happen. Um, and they go, what's wrong? What am I doing wrong? And I'm going, you are actually meeting the core needs of that child right now well done you won't always have to do that and I jokingly say oh, trust me your child will want to sleep with someone else one day but <laughs> but that is that is what gets them to feel the safest to fall asleep and I would love you to prioritize sleep above almost anything else yeah because tired parents and tired kids is not good on immune system it's not good on learning it's not good on behavior it's not good on how they feed themselves. So in other words, the number one priority besides lots of loving connection is how we prioritize sleep.
0: Yeah, yeah. And you mentioned other things like as soon as you're tired, your diet goes out the window. You just want sweet, sugary snacks all the time.
1: Yeah, everything. Just a cascade of negativity. And I think – and there's another thing I want to throw out. And, you know, I I keep saying I really love parents to demonstrate or model quiet time. So just after – I'm really – Every family should have a quiet time. Sometime after lunch is a low biorhythm time for most of us. But I want dads to model it, not mums, because dads, you give them a really good job to do, they just nail it. They sleep within seconds and they're completely relaxed, right? Yeah. You put a mummy down there and the mental load just doesn't stop. And she's often going, Oh, I haven't done that and I haven't done that. And I, Oh, they didn't eat broccoli last night and my legs are hairy and I've got to have my eyebrows done. And they, in actual fact, the eyeballs don't stop moving. Yeah. Can you see that? And it's and this is where I I just love this to step into this place of um, how we parent now because you know you've got to remember while everything was pretty harsh, it was mainly mummies at home, yeah, right. And then dads came home later and often gave out extra punishment because they were they had to be the that's right. You wait till
0: your father comes home.
1: Yeah, wait till your father. No, no wonder people didn't develop warm, loving relationships with their father. You were the bad guy. Yeah. So now with the co-parenting patterns, and isn't it a great space to be? I mean, I just watched three of my sons and I'm, I'm in awe of them, um, that there are differences between how we want to parent and you've already owned the fact that when, um, and I find this in my dad's early seminars, Richard, they come up often and say, just Maggie, what do I do? I just go to angry <laughs> and that's just my dad and I don't want to be my dad. And um, so, again, it's awareness. Women are always talking about what they're doing. They endlessly go online and look at other questions, other answers. They talk to their girlfriends. They talk to them. They go and have therapy. They do all these things to be a better parent. And dads just kind of sit around going, oh, gee, I wish I could be a better parent. (laughs) Yeah. Um, They don't always read big parenting books either. And I know lots and lots of what's one of the gifts of the digital world is um, when mums tag dads into posts that are helpful. Yeah. So my tip for dads out there is, please read them.
0: <laughs> yeah, totally.
1: You want to if you want to get sex within the next month, please read them because she's not doing that to say that you're a lousy dad, but she's noticed that you're struggling with that and that maybe we can have that conversation. But we're really sensitive. Guys are really sensitive to not getting things right and they feel judged and then they get defensive. Women have a tendency to um, want it their way and no other way, and so they can be a bit narky about criticizing. So it's a really so that's a really different parenting diet and you know paradigm because dads are really up there now and mums sometimes find it hard to let go a bit.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: You know, I've actually said to you know seminars, I've said you know there's two ways to change a nappy and and they're both valid. Yeah, and if you've put the onesie uh, over the leggings, it is it isn't it, it's just okay. <laughs>
0: Yep, totally.
1: Right? It's not wrong. Um, and I guess that's why I have such a following from dads because I decode for them why mummies get so wound up because yeah. compare and despair is wired into our girls very early. So as mums, especially with a perfect world and every other mother who looks amazing and she's already got, you know,
0: Well, you've tight got the, abs, the Instagram filters.
1: The Instagram filters. And she only puts up the gorgeous photos. She doesn't put up the crap one. So <laughs> I want... I want mums and dads to have these conversations sometimes, possibly over a meal when the kids are asleep. Go out on a date night and have a little chat about, look at one aspect that's causing a bit of angst in your house and problem solve together. Hmm. Yep. Do you know? Because together, you know, we might have slightly different ideas, but you can often find a middle space that exactly where you need to be yeah and you, you know and it's okay to own up and say man i'm just fine and it's not afternoon dropping the afternoon sleep for that three-year-old it's a nightmare yeah yeah and i one of my own sons rang me one day and he's um he was covering because mummy mommy works on a friday and um the little oh she's a fiery little one i love her She climbs climbs fences and escapes she's a she's she's out there and um <laughs> He um so she didn't eat a lunch. Normally she eats a lunch, right? And nah, she wasn't having that afternoon nap. He tried for an hour and a half and then just gave up. Tried to drive her around in the car. And she's in the back going, Which way are you going, Daddy? Are you going past the kangaroos, Daddy? Are we going to get a coffee, Daddy? In other words, she was not fine.
0: He was on his third car. coffee by the time. she died.
1: <laughs> <laughs> And then by the time the afternoon came, of course, um oh my god, and he just said, I've just had the worst day and I feel like such a lousy, failed dad. Yeah. And I said, that's because men get their self-worth from doing stuff good that yeah. they give themselves self-worth with, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they, every mum who's had that goes, yeah, I've had a crap day. It's but they, not
2: talk, the it yeah, it they talk it through and let it
1: go. Yeah, and I keep saying to dads, that's just a day. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's not failing parenthood. It's actually being there and it's really crappy some days. Yeah. It's really difficult some days but you're not a failed dad the fact you stepped up and you've given it an hour and a half (laughs) and if you've raised your voice and been a bit crabby heck I probably would have right and I see dads beat themselves up a lot like that and I have to reassure them that you know it's just it's just part of this journey and that every now and then you'll you know, you'll find yourself doing what you do every now and then. I'll take a breath going, man, I'm going to just walk around
0: outside for a moment. <laughs> yeah. I'm
1: just going to bring myself down here or else just start laughing.
0: Yeah. Well, Because
1: laughing triggers the other
0: And things, that's one of the things. Know? I find that it's, it's almost like I just need to get a handle on myself before I can yes. even begin to attempt to get a handle on my yeah. kids.
1: And I think it's a really good – if you're really crabby and you're really finding your, your toxic parent – and, you know, it can be a toxic mother – you know, and I've actually, that's one of the things I discovered um, when I wrote Mothering Our Boys, that um, my boy's dad worked enormously long hours um, and he changed one nappy and four boys because it was kind of what happened yeah. in those days. But he was also in boarding school as a boy very early and so he was he's a boarding master. Hmm. He doesn't know any other dialogue in his head. And yeah. uh, no matter what he tried to do and it was really difficult for him. So. You know, I kept saying to them, I kept saying to the boys, it's just that this is what's happened in your daddy when he was a boy, and that's why it's hard for him. He still loves you, but he gets really angry because he got growled at when he was at boarding school.
0: Yeah, just repeating the cycle.
1: Yeah, and so I think mums can actually help us, daddies, soften off that hardness. You know, if we we have the other partner batting in for us, and that allows you to back off from being hard on you as well. And I find that that's when we have these. You know, human relationships are tricky no matter what age you are and what gender you are and who you are and how old you are. So I actually don't have a problem when parents are, you know, struggling with bits and get crabby at each other because I think they need to see how relationships are. But what the research shows is how do you resolve that? Yeah. So, if, you know, if you get frozen out and not spoken to for a week, that's not terribly helpful for your children. However, if you blow up and you, one of you walks away and then comes back later and goes, wow, man, I really lost it there. Sorry about that. In actual fact, that's quite good for children to see yeah. that grown-ups can have days that they lose their SHIT yeah. <laughs> um, and that we're not bad people. We're doing the best we can and that's that's a big message for parents that you are every day you don't get out of bed and say, how can I be a crap parent? <laughs> <laughs> every day you want to be the best parent you can be and that um sometimes nobody, you're really tired <laughs> oh it's back to the sleep again yep. isn't it and i think also it's the stress levels today i find with more mummies working um at work comes home with parents on their phones yeah and good people think oh just get a couple of emails done for work and before you know it you've you've just sacrificed 40 minutes out of your child's childhood Um so i really recommend now that you have really clear boundaries around that um, hide your phone we do know if you can't see it or can't touch it you don't pick it up as often and all the alerts need to be off yeah so what when are, we start doing those boundaries that and also when we use our phone tell our kids this is what we do i'm actually booking a doctor's appointment or i'm just ordering you know the you know the food for the next week yeah. or i'm just checking what time the bus schedule i went i want our kids to see there's a purpose to it
2: yeah We're not just randomly
1: scrolling forever or watching funny cat and dog movies. And I think you need to sit with your children to watch funny cat and dog videos. <laughs> Especially Bluey. Yeah, oh, my God. But it, just in case it goes to something else, you need to be – Bluey never goes to anything else. No,
0: but. that's the great thing. So
1: how have you found Bluey? Has it been oh, a help?
0: All right. It's the best children's yeah. cartoon ever made. It's Absolutely. amazing. Like,
1: and when I spoke to Joe, Ram and I, um, on the podcast – The story behind it was what fascinated Mm. me and I loved it so much because he said that um, his little girl, she just went to one of those really structured early childhood transitions, just absolutely hated it. He went, wow. I went, wow, That's she's wanting to play more. So he and his wife then had to find somewhere else that worked for her and in that it was the imaginative stuff that he started to see. Was He didn't think it was that important.
0: But it just opened his filters completely. It just
1: opened his filters completely and I know – I mean, I know it's been a help for my boys um, and I especially loved the fact that when you're watching it sometimes, like even going to the pool, if you remember the going to the pool one, yeah. they flip to the scene in the back seat and there's crap all over the back seat. <laughs> yeah. You know, like there's half-eaten sandwiches and bits of it. Like, oh I've, like <laughs> <laughs> I've got a card just like that. My car used to be just like that. And, of course, when he gets there and he's about to throw out um, – uh yeah artwork you know how many kids have tried to throw three ton of it yeah and he had to make up something on the run you know it's going to be turned into how many of us have had those moments or (laughs) had to tell our kids that um you know something slightly untruth for them to? and i laugh because he captures it so beautifully and yet he captures um the moments that we struggle as well in a loving way like the poor one is when he forgot
0: Sun cream, he forgot, yeah. Yeah,
1: he's forgotten the sun cream. He's got the and towel, he's got the he, snacks, yeah, drink.
0: everything that he needed except and for getting when the kids mum to the pool. Turned up, <laughs>
1: yeah. It was done with love. Did yeah. you notice that? It
0: wasn't shaming dad. It was just, no, here and I am. Yeah. I Please.
1: think that has been the best gift that Bluey's bought to parenting. Yeah. I actually think it's a, a great way
0: to prime the day as, as yes. a dad. Just, you know. Will my, my son will actually come up to me and say Saturday morning or something, say, Hey, can we watch Bluey? And I'll absolutely say yes. Cause that's, right. that's the one thing that I just think is amazing to share with him. And it, I, I've watched well, it a couple well, of times and I go, Oh wow. Yeah. I, I feel way better about, it. I, I'm going to try that, you know? Yeah. I've even it's had Will impersonating the dad, doing oh. the whole kitchen routine where he, he goes, look, I haven't got time <laughs> to play the elevator game. And he was like pressing the butter and disappearing below the counter. Is this oh, yours? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Handing a thong.
1: <laughs> and what not it how beautiful though, because it was made with such consciousness yeah. that it is now in Disney and it's now around the world.
0: Oh, it's blown to up. To me, it's that great. means that,
1: you know, and every now and then that's kind of weird for me because I was born and bred in a farm in the Wheatbelt in Western Australia, a country government educated and kind of, I don't know how I got here, like this is a digital world that lets me chat to people like you. But my following, I had 350 people come to hear me speak in Canada and I kind of, kind of still hide that hard. It's a bit like Bluey, there's something in it that. It just is – I think it's my accent for Canadians and the Brits. Some of them just love my accent. But it was because it makes sense, right? It makes sense of the stuff that doesn't make sense to a parent and that makes you feel better.
0: Oh, absolutely.
1: And, yeah, and I want to keep doing that. But one of my my greatest gifts, and I end up crying every time a mum comes up to me and says this, um, and I get the messages quite often, I keep them all in a very special folder is that their mum died before they, she met their children. And they reckon that I sound like their mum. And sometimes they sit down with a podcast and a cup of tea and just pretend it's their mum. And, ah, oh, then that just, I just saw it because in, in <laughs> how we raise children for centuries um, is a um, significant circle of care. There were yeah. grandmothers and aunties who were beside whole village, you. essentially. A whole village of loving people who weren't there to judge you or shame you, who often took your children off you so you could have a sleep. And the more we disintegrate from that, yeah, the more challenging we're finding it because we're social beings, we're meant to be in the company of others. Children learn best in the environments of older and younger children, especially in play-based environments that are unstructured and free, and they get less and less chances to do the things that we know matter. So yep. Yep, you've got to meet up with your friends more often for random barbecues and picnics and, you know, schedule it in. Yeah. Schedule it in.
0: Totally. And I loved your point about finding an auntie as well, you know, to actually almost like hand over the reins and say, you know, spend some time with one of them. Like we've done the same with Sarah's sister has gone on dates with our eldest. And, And
1: you know, they don't have to be biological either, Rich. I have a beautiful lady who um, I actually was um, bereavement coordinator in a hospice for a time and her husband had cancer. And I facilitated his death at home with her. So we've got a pretty special bond. And she looked after the boys one night um, when we were off to um, a teaching meeting. And whenever we had takeaway, it was one chook and one bucket of chips. Well, she turned up with two chooks and two buckets of chips and also ice cream. So you can imagine what the dent boy's like. Whoa, she's amazing. (laughs) And an eight-year-old at the time said to her, hey, Pat, would would you like to be our other grandma? Because we've got a bit dodgy grandmas. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but that just meant they were a long way away and they couldn't see them. Yeah. Um, and she said, sure. And so she's been in their life forever. Oh, well. She's, you know, to their weddings and their twenty first and she remembers their birthdays and the birth of their children. Non-biological people can become your surrogates. And I'm, I'm so old that in our country area, we called my mum and dad's best friends aunt and uncle. Yeah. And I can run into them now. They're nearly 90, one of them. And I still call her Auntie Pat and Uncle Gerald. And she says, no, no, no. And I said, no, I can't call you anything else but that. Yeah. That is a term of endearment for my childhood. Yeah. And I think we need to look at how can we bring those sorts of things in a positive way to that collective of people who are around us, who actually know us and our kids, who care about us. And it's one of the things I say to families, if something awful happened, right, during the day, and you can't pick your children up. Do you have at least five people in your life who can pick them up, and the kids won't care, and the school knows they are your inner circle?
2: That's
0: a because great
1: question. Stuff like that happens.
0: Yeah, it's stuff interesting. Like that happens. It's interesting you say that because one of our neighbours, he comes from a Polish background, and he calls everyone on the street uncle richard or uncle scott yeah. or auntie this and that and the other and, and i hadn't thought about it until then but that's probably yeah. exactly what he's been doing it is
1: yeah because a term of endearment um and i i think it's that frequency of people in our lives you know one of the i can remember one day one of my girlfriends because i have three very special girlfriends all teachers and we kind of had the first two kids together i just kept going um And I remember, you know, two o'clock in the morning before we had mobile phones, there was a bang at the door. I was expecting it. She was, you know, due any day. And a hubby just hands the two-year-old to me and say, we're on the way. She's in labor. Yeah. And that little girl didn't bat an eyelid. She didn't bat an eyelid next morning. Didn't even care. Mum and dad weren't around. Um, That's we need some of those people. Hmm. And we need them for the days that we have got so tired and so overwhelmed and so exhausted. We are a risk to our own children, we need to have people say, "Can I just drop them off for an hour? I just, just need to regroup myself, or I just need a nap."
0: The emergency release valve.
1: Yeah, that's it. See, and I'm I'm that sort of a crazy nanny, but I am, you know, I've got two in Sydney, and I've got two and one in WA. So, heck, <laughs> it's not easy for me to get there when they're actually. It's not a good day, so I just turn up as often as we can and and steal them. Yeah. yeah.
0: What What advice would you give to like early parents nowadays what would be your first piece of advice
1: okay um the very first thing i would love to say to new parents is uh, don't read too much don't scroll too much and don't look for perfect solutions it's one of the reasons i wrote the book called nine things a back to basics guide to calm connected common sense parenting yeah because on my on my travels i kept finding a parent come up to me and say gee i didn't know there was such a thing as temperament I didn't know girls and boys could be a bit different. I didn't know about um, why movement and play is. So I just, I didn't know that stuff. And that's because we lost the auntie and the grandmother. Yeah. Um, so there's a kind of nine things that I think if you understand those nine things, you are the very best person to make the choices for your child. Because every now and then I was getting a message from someone in Melbourne saying, Maggie, where sh- who should I send my son to school in Melbourne? And A, I don't know your child and I don't know you and I don't know your school system. But they felt, because I was an expert, but I'm only, once again, you know, I made decisions for my sons. Yeah. And I can be a sounding board for my own sons and their beautiful wives as they make those decisions. But you are the perfect person because you know your child the best. And there are times you have to be really brave and go, you know what, this isn't going to work for them. I know everyone else is doing it. But we're not doing extracurricular for another couple of years. We,
0: we totally had that situation only last week. We, yes. we literally, because we were supposed to put Will into prep, Yep. and it, we vacillated back and forth so yep. many times and then got down to the 11th hour and we're like, no, no, this, this just exactly. doesn't feel right. And, and so, your
1: gut, your gut is the best thing. When you've read some information and you, and you need to trust that, hmm. um, and I've never met a parent who's regretted giving their child an extra year to shine. But I just meet so many who wish they had. Yeah. It's no hurry. Seriously, no hurry because um, we are hurried up childhood. We're stealing it off our children um, with all sorts of well-intended messages about learning and development. And in actual fact, the less hurried, the more free, and um, the less pressured childhood, the healthier child's, brain grows, especially their self-regulating systems and their stress-managing systems, Yeah. the more pressure we put on them, the more likely they're going to struggle in those areas later. So, you know, the feral free childhood is still something you can have to co-create. <laughs> yeah. Um, and you can still do it with clusters of children. Yeah. You know, people keep saying, you can't send them to the park, there's bound to be a pedophile there, and I'm thinking, well, a cl- they don't like clusters of children. <laughs> Yeah, and, and basically you teach your older children to be on the watch out for strange people. Um, and also some of the strange people you've got to remember are actually already in your family.
0: Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's terrible, so, isn't it? Yeah,
1: You know, that's, the, that's one of the other messages that I can throw at you, which is um, today's parents actually have to start by three and four about talking to their children about body awareness and um, private parts and who has permission to touch them um, because, frighteningly, um, we've had a 500% increase in inappropriate sexual play with children under five in our early childhood settings, some of it of a penetrative nature because children have seen pornography and are just acting out what they've seen. Mm, it's like so we don't let our kids run on highways. Yeah. We cannot let them run on the highways of the digital world and I'd delay it as long as possible and yeah. I'd make it as difficult as possible for your child to spend time where they can be got at yeah. Rather than what they get to, because we've got some serious sickos uh, um, who even get on to you know kids YouTube.
0: Yeah, totally. And so YouTube, it you can is get down, you fall down a rabbit hole in like three Absolutely. steps into something yep, really hideous. So
1: if you're beside them, yeah, you know, and you've got to remember, some of our children love to watch really weird stuff. Boys <laughs> love watching yeah. kids play Minecraft for hours. You know, like, why don't you just play it yourself? And um, and we like watching them build things or make things or. Glue things, or cook, or whatever. Um, yep, that's okay to a point, but look at the sidebars. There's often something that they might want, or accidentally flip into something else, and that's it is the saddest thing I think. Yeah. That you have to deal with today in today's world is how we protect our children from the harm a, that it, comes from an invisible world that's outside of your house.
0: It's a really important point you've raised. I mean, what are you? What other things would you advise when it comes to screen time and yep. you know the digital engagement yeah. of our kids?
1: Yeah. Okay. So any as little as possible under five. Mm-hmm. And if you really want some time and space for your children, any handheld device I'd make it only for long haul flights, um, or if your TV's broken. Yeah. I'm going to tell you why I prefer your children in front of a TV with a very loved series. So, um, And preferably don't use the ones that have commercials that tell them to eat Macca's. Yep. Uh, ABC Eye View is a saint for that reason, so you can watch the same cartoon that you know they like. What happens when you put a child in front of a cartoon that they love, it is like sitting with a good friend. Mm. They don't have to use any energy for the plot or the characters, and it's like they just sink into it. And it's safe, and it's probably if they watch a couple, it's not going to do your child any harm. Um, that is really what I keep saying. If you're really at that point, you want to do something, don't hand don't hand your phone, and don't hand them an iPad or a tablet. Yeah. Put them in front of a good quality TV, be, and also be careful of the smart ones because some of our savvy kids are already able to. Yeah. Get to um, onto something else. Yeah. That's right. Know. Make
0: sure you put the uh, the the nanny yeah. sort of uh, the, controls on.
1: Parental controls, there are some out there and they're continually evolving. And when you get those, it really does actually help them. But by about 10, 11 and 12, your boys can dismantle them. So don't <laughs> get too confident. Yeah. And make sure it's on your phone
2: mm.
1: as well. Um, and that's a really big one. I want you to balance the screen time with green time and movement with passivity. Yeah. We have had a 60% increase in um, short-sightedness. And um, that has to do with um, not so much the screen as to do with not being outside in the natural environment, which stretches the eyeballs. Uh, we know sleep, uh, it upsets melatonin. You know, there's so many things I could go through, but I just want you to know as little as possible. And then go to the eSafety um, government site, which is a really good site and it does give great guidelines Um, And I also recommend Dr. Christy Goodman's site because she's – that's her PhD was in that digital world on children and childhood. You've got a whole episode of your
0: podcast with her, haven't you?
1: I have. The very first one was with Dr. Christy and it was a ripper. And she's a bit like me. Um, We don't believe in banning. We believe in kind of learning how to manage it because it is the world they're going to live in. Yeah. Um, and not to use it as punishment if possible. Yeah. Oh, I know I've said some know. people.
0: Don't no, know. no, 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 because <laughs> when you said that, I was like, oh, I've totally done yeah. that. Yeah. I know.
1: I mean, it's a threat. Yeah. It's a, you know, it's, it, it is, it's but at the end of the day, um, it becomes problematic later.
0: Yeah. No, it's, well, it's a good time for us because Annie just had to get an iPad for school, and yep. so the iPad's got to stay okay. at school. Yeah. Um, but just the, the last week of the holidays, it was like catnip could not yeah. get away from it and i put parental controls on yeah. and and luckily i could restrict the times but yes. if we'd have allowed it she would have sat in yeah. front of it for That's 12 it. hours a day and you do more.
1: realize that all of the apps that are geared for young children under five have already got in them very specific reward systems to turn your child into a gambler
0: oh i can totally believe it the, the whole sort of well we're, we're geared to want rewards yeah. aren't we exactly. it's you know it's like a dopamine hit
1: It is. So can you see, again, it's a really tricky space to step into. Um, And um, marination of language. Children don't download language off TVs and screens till around three. So the more you read to your children, speak in conversation to your children, sing to your children and talk to your children, the better they're going to have a vocab when they transition into school. Nothing on a screen will ever replace the human voice and the human face.
0: Well, Maggie, that seems to be a perfect place to wind up our chat. I'd love to talk to you more, but I know you've got to head off to another appointment. Where can listeners find you uh, on the internet?
1: perfect. The very easiest is maggiedent.com is is my website, which will lead you into all sorts. We have parent help. So nearly every single thing you're pulling your hair out about, I've written about. Um, There's little search bars, which is great. I have a YouTube channel with only 90 videos, short three-minute videos, which dads love. That explores some of these things in a common sense way and then on top of that i um and i am the host of abc's parental As anything podcast uh and now in its second series and uh, fingers and toes crossed we might keep doing that where we want mums and dads and people to listen to it together um it's a great punchy kind of informative way of reassuring them you you've all you're all doing a pretty good job just if you know a few more things, you might be able to make a few better choices. So at the moment, and then of course all of my books are on my website, all of my audios are on my website. You can if you can't, you wanna know what my, you know, seminar about um, resilience is, I actually have a digital version of that on my website because people can't always come to stuff and as I wind back, they get a bit crabby at me. So, um, and a lot of it is is very affordable because and you keep it forever. I just want people. There's online courses. I've got one on calming kids. I've got one on adolescence and I've got one on the nine things, one which covers nine hours of the nine <laughs> basics. And you can just jump in and out and look at one and have a little look because sometimes after you've had your first child, you've forgotten.
2: Yeah. You yeah. Need a bit
1: of a reminder. Um, yeah. And so, I, like I said, I'm easy and my, my, my real core mission Rich, is, um, is just to be the educator that helps you discover answers to the things that do your head in, that make you feel frustrated and crabby with yourself um, and reassure you all that, um, you know, good enough, imperfect parents can raise quite exceptional kids.
0: Well, I think you're doing a fantastic job, Maggie. Uh, please keep up the great work and I look forward to uh, listening to your next uh, instalments on the, on the podcast.
1: Thank you so much, Rich.
0: Take care. Thanks, Maggie. That was fantastic. <laughs> Well, thanks for listening to this episode. I hope you took away from it as much as I did. Now, before you go, I wanted to let you know that we're holding our first ever Dad Mindset Live event next week. I'll be hosting a panel of local dads, including authors Annie McNeely and Mark Smith, who've previously been on the show. We're going to chat about the struggles and successes of being a father and explore the general messiness of being a parent. It's an opportunity to share insights, pick the brains of other dads and ask any questions you like in a judgment-free zone. It's going to be a lot of fun and everyone's welcome. It's being held on Wednesday the 26th of February between 6.30pm and 8pm at Warren Ponds Library. If you'd like to come and join us, you can get your tickets by clicking the link on the front page of the Dad Mindset website, which is thedadmindset.com. If the tickets are all taken, just come along anyway and we'll make it work because there's loads of extra standing space we can use. And it would be great to see you. In the meantime, have a great week and enjoy your caffeinated beverage.